on this episode of Sex and Healing. We're constantly looking in the rearview mirror, feeling like I've lost what was destined for me and we're not able to see that what's just around the corner outside our sphere of experience is the person that we can't imagine that we're going to meet yet. Do the fucking work, do the fucking healing, and the goodness will come, the reward will come, or perpetuate the same shit time and time and time again. Holding back from my power, from sharing my message in the world because I'm preoccupied with one person's opinion of me when actually the people that can see me think it's sexy as fuck for me to be me. I'm like, fuck, that's so true. Daddy Issues is such a, a slander almost towards women, but like we didn't choose that. We didn't choose to feel emotionally disconnected or unmet in our childhood. It's circumstances that were outside of our control. What are they here to teach me? What gift am I here to leave? How is this designed? How is this perfectly designed for myself, by my soul, for me to get the greatest growth and evolution out of this? How is this here to teach me about love? The pain, the unavailability, the disappointments. Exactly, and if you can, people say that to me all the time. They're like, wow, you're glowing. Because <laughs> I'm finally getting fucked well. <sighs> Hello and welcome back to the Sex and Healing Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Kiner, and thank you so much for joining me as we take this wild ride together through the realms of sex and healing. Today we have the beautiful Peter Woolen, and she's going to be talking to us about all things breakups, how to recover, how to release your ex, how to truly heal, and how to attract the love that you deserve. So welcome, Peter. It's awesome to have you. Thank you, Erin. I'm really excited to actually be here and speak with you and speak with your beautiful audience. I could speak for years and years about breakups and there's so much <laughs> that I would that I would really love to share. So yeah. I know, it's so awesome. We were just chatting before we hit the record and then I was like, stop, we've got to stop talking. This is getting juicy. <laughs> we've got to share with you guys because you and I are the same, actually. I think we both have a very big focus on love and relationships and personal growth and like using all of these life experiences to continue to improve ourselves and improve the quality of relationships that we have. And epigenetically, you and I share the same body type, so that also doesn't surprise me because we are the lovers. We are built for that deep, loving connection. So I'm super curious about your astrology, knowing that we're the same epigenetics. I want to know if we're also (laughs) astrologically similar. What's your sun, moon and rising signs? Right, so I'm a Cancer, uh, sorry, a Capricorn sun, a Cancer moon, and a Leo rising. <laughs> I love that. The Capricorn, I'm Cancer, I'm a Cancer sun, but Capricorn sits opposite Cancer. So you've got Cancer representing the divine feminine and that nurturing, and you know, you've got your moon sitting there and all that delicious nurturing, love, carer provider energy but you've also got this Capricorn which is the masculine you know the balance that's very interesting actually they're sitting in opposition to each other then your sun and your moon are sitting in opposition um but yeah you you bring in that Capricorn CEO energy too of like being able to go out there and make something in the world and then with the Leo rising you're like hello world (laughs) look at me which makes sense as an entrepreneur and running your own business and being the face of your business that's amazing 
That is amazing. So would you like to tell us a little bit about you and your business and share what you to share? I, so leading up to doing what I do now, which is supporting women really through heartbreak, finding themselves again, creating an inspired life, turning that breakup, which feels like the worst thing that's ever happened into actually the best thing that ever happens. Um, And I've been doing that for nearly 10 years now. And that really came out of a a 20 year and we can talk a little bit more about my relationship history because it was it was a shit show. I have to admit it was an emotional roller coaster. Um, And so, yeah, so I'm just really passionate about helping women come out the other side of a breakup and be stronger and more powerful and more self-aware and go on to create a beautiful, beautiful, deep, loving soulmate partnership after that with all of these new awarenesses and this new connection to soul and spirit and it's yeah it's just such a beautiful rewarding thing we've talked a little bit offline Erin I know about attachment (laughs) style so um, I use the attachment framework a lot being an anxious attachment and you identify with that as well yep Yep. (laughs) I call myself a piece of velcro looking for my other piece of velcro like let me stick to that and not move and then I know I'm safe in the world like please never let me go (laughs) but you know like Again, I, I love that we dive so deep in this and we do share so vulnerably, you know, about neither you nor I have any hesitation in sharing our difficulties with the world and, and being transparent in the difficulties we've gone through and that we also have this desire to turn it into some life-positive gold rather than just letting ourselves be victim to it. But it is very, uh, I guess it's like a very present in my life right now is healing this anxious attachment. And and the framework of attachment styles has been fucking revolutionary for me, actually. And now once you understand it and you see it, you see it in all relationships. And it's, I don't know, I can just feel within myself when I'm in my secure attachment, I feel so fucking good. The world is an amazing place. I, I walk around with this sense of like, I am loved, I'm safe. I know I'm okay. That allows me to take bigger risks in my business. It allows me to be bold in the world. It changes the way that I walk, you know, physically in the world when I know that I'm safe, know that I'm loved, know that I'm not going to be abandoned. And then when my fucking anxious attachment goes off, holy moly, like it impacts everything. That's why I'm so committed to healing it really because I just see that when we have those attachment wounds, it impacts the way you feel about yourself, the way that you carry yourself. It impacts the way that you feel about work. It impacts the way you feel about money. It impacts the quality of person that you, you'll you have around you because you just want to heal that wound. You just want to attach to someone that it just puts us in these unhealthy things or it doesn't matter who it is. It's just like, I'm just going to keep holding on. I, I often say I excel at holding on. <laughs> it's not that I suck at letting go. It's that I'm exceptionally good at holding on. It's a skill. <laughs> Any anxious attachment person will tell you it is a skill to hold on as well as we hold on. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I became I became essentially an accidental expert in anxious attachment <laughs> as, as well as experiencing it myself. But I would say nine out of ten of the women that were having experiencing real problems in with their breakup like prolonged grief and unable to let go of their ex, and it's affecting all areas of your life. 
um, most of those are the women that actually reached out to get help mm-hmm. with it. So, um, so not only can I relate to that personally as well, just, just, you know, breakups, absolutely sending me like obliterating my whole life, my professional life, my yes. family life and, yes. and having to rebuild from the ground up. It's like, it's like, it's, it's worse than the rug being pulled out from underneath you when, you experience a breakup with anxious attachment it's like I've yeah I've remember I had I lost my job I had to move out of my I couldn't pay my rent anymore I had to move out of home I had to go and go back to the country and live with my parents and one time I spent like a month in bed in the dark yeah literally crying until I just yeah. cried it all out and and had to start again and yeah. and I've, I've done that a few times I agree. I had those moments, my divorce, which happened after 12 years of partnership, and we both had anxious attachment. We loved each other deeply, deep. We had such a deep love for each other. But breaking the bond between two anxiously attached people, you can imagine how fucking deep that goes and how hard that was. And I moved to Hawaii at that point, and I remember days in bed crying, not eating, not able to function, like not only going through divorce but also having moved to a country where I knew no one. And then trying to establish myself in a new community and find new bonds. It was so, so difficult. It honestly took me years. I think now I'm coming up to five years post-divorce and I feel the best that I've ever felt. But it is not a simple journey. It, it's not, I don't know, some people probably look at us and they're like, what's wrong with those girls? Like, <laughs> get over it already. <laughs> but when you're a deep woman and when you love deeply and the pain of a breakup is a death essentially in our life so do you want do you want to share a little bit obviously you and I have been able to eventually get ourselves to the place where we're able to move on from that but what do you think makes that distinction between the people that can healthily relate or can look at their breakup and navigate it well and are well equipped to move on and those people that get stuck in that place that you and I have both been I mean, let's let's not deny the fact that breakups are painful regardless of who you are. And mm-hmm. and even if you're the one that chooses to break up, they're they're all painful because we're losing, we've invested in this person in this relationship and we're losing something. It's it's emotional. But you know, I guess a healthy, secure person will be disappointed that the relationship has ended and will go through a grieving process. But the key difference is that someone who moves out of a relationship and navigates a breakup healthy does see themselves eventually finding a new partner, creating a beautiful new relationship and moving on to something that they feel is going to be better suited or is a more appropriate match for them. As opposed to like myself and those of us that get really, really stuck is we believe that we're never, ever going to have that experience Mm. with that person ever again. We believe we're never going to find someone that's got this and this and this or we can experience this depth of emotional connection. And so we're constantly looking in the rear view, view mirror, feeling like I've lost, you know, what was destined for me and we're not able to see that what's just around the corner outside our sphere of experience is the person that we can't imagine that we're going to meet yet. Fuck, I can relate to that so much, Peter. Oh, my God. That was hitting the nail on the head for me. That is exactly how I felt. And because I consider myself not so easy to love. That's not just having some beliefs about my lovability, but that's also just recognizing I'm a kind of extreme personality. I'm deep and I'm complex and it's not easy. 
historically it has not been easy for me to find people who feel like a match. So when I have found that person that loves that part of me or sees me in that particular way, I do. I'm just like, I can't lose that. I can't lose that and go back into the world in that feeling of like no one gets me and no one loves me anymore. But you're exactly fucking right because what's around the corner is the fucking lover that holds space for my depth like no one has, that loves my depth, that wants more of it, that can make me bigger and more powerful and I could not have imagined because it still blows my mind now how fucking good it is. So there's no way I could have in the midst of a breakup had that certainty of like, oh, no, that guy's coming and that's going to make it all worthwhile. (laughs) Right. And so that's where, that's the biggest shift that we really need is to trust that like you were the co-creator of your relationships. Mm. The person that you're with doesn't take those loving feelings away from you. Like you, you actually generated those from within. And just because you can't imagine how phenomenal your next relationship is going to be, doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust that it is, you know, we Mm. really, we really move, move through our relationship life and kind of go backwards. Regress. I agree. I almost have the evidence now, now at 38, (laughs) but now I know, and I've said to my lover, should something happen and we're not together, as much as I can't imagine someone better than you, because you blow my fucking mind every day, I do know, and I do trust, and life has shown me that it gets better and better and better. And I can't imagine what would be better than him. (laughs) But I trust life. I trust life. It's exactly what happens. We grow our vibrational match and what we attract grows. The capacity that we have to receive grows. Our worthiness grows. Yeah, I don't think I've actually, now I'm going to pull myself on that. I was going to say I don't think I've seen anyone regress. What I do see is people staying the same when they don't get the lessons, when they don't choose to grow from it, and then they just keep attracting the same fucking pattern. That's probably what would happen more likely It's like, do the fucking work, do the fucking healing, and the goodness will come, the reward will come, or perpetuate the same shit time and time and time again. <laughs> Correct. And you hit the nail on the head there. It's so important how we navigate the end of a breakup, like the, the healing, the introspection, what we do with that experience, because a lot of times we have this big void, we feel lonely, we feel unloved, we feel unworthy, and we just a lot of people do just rush to fill that up. And what you miss out on is appropriately healing from that breakup. Like we have a heart wound. It's a little bit like if you broke your arm, you wouldn't just go and hang out with your friends and and your friends say, it'll be right, you know, get back on the horse, you'll be Mm. fine, you know, keep going, keep going. You actually treat that broken limb in a very specific way so you'd get it diagnosed you'd actually have like healing applied to it you'd have rest and recuperation and you'd move Mm. through phases of healing so that your arm functioned properly again at the end of that and our heart is really no different if we don't give that the the appropriate attention as far as healing Mm. and rest and recovery and recuperation be really sensitive about that um, we we continue to carry those wounds into future relationships, um, there's a lot of meaning that we make about ourselves. Like if we have core wounds of I'm not worthy, I'm not enough, I'm not lovable, everyone's going to leave me, they're just exacerbated with every breakup if we don't go in and use that as an opportunity whilst we're already cracked open to heal those wounds while we're there. It's the perfect time. 
a broken arm analogy is fantastic because as you said that, I think, yeah, okay, what if we didn't go get it x-rayed? What if we didn't get it put in a cast, reshaped and put in a cast, and you let it heal as it was, inherently broken? Would you want to go swing on the monkey bars again? No, you'd be fucking scared. Or if you did it once again and the pain came back, you're like, okay, never, ever again. So if you don't heal the heart, you're like, relationships hurt and never, ever again. And that's almost what you see. It's like, oh, that person got broken especially dudes, he got heartbroken by his first girlfriend. He shut down and he's never going to fucking open again. And there's a 40-year-old dude walking around with a, a wound from 18 years old. It's so evident to me, like, they got hurt badly once and they never repaired it. And that, like, the then layers of protection become thicker and thicker and thicker. But for people like you and I, we're driven to heal. We've got the courage and we're like, fuck, that's going to hurt to go and get that arm put back into shape. But... If I do that once and I do it well, then I get my fucking arm and I can swing on the monkey bars again. <laughs> like I can try those things again without carrying this pain around. And I think like my partner and I are in a poly relationship and we were saying, because we're very dedicated to our sexuality, it's like to experience the depth of sexuality that we need, we need to be so mentally and emotionally connected and we need to be so, uh, we have to have such deep trust and like we're so committed to doing all the work there to get what we want out of the sexual experience, but we're doing exactly the same with poly. We've said, let's do that as well as we do everything else. Let's work out what the hell that we need to do within ourselves and for each other to navigate what comes up internally for us in a poly situation. But that's exactly what my ex-wife and I did in our marriage too. We said, we did this marriage so freaking well, let's divorce equally as well. Let's do this, let's finish strong and do this as well as we do anything else and we both acknowledge that we got more growth out of the divorce process than what, well, I wouldn't say more. We had 12 years of loving each other and that love creates this beautiful healing environment. But actually, when you've got courage to face the dark stuff and the painful stuff, there is so much growth available to that. So we grew equally as much going through divorce. The way that we hurt each other and the triggers that came up or the way that we supported each other or like it is really quite phenomenal. The relationship doesn't end <laughs> or the, the potential of growth from the relationship does not end when the relationship ends. It's, there's this, it's like the sunset is as, equally as beautiful as the sunrise. Like that relationship started in all that beauty and it can end in just as much beauty if we choose it. Because I think like every, every single relationship is going to end. It's almost like we've been programmed with some belief that it's bad or wrong or we've got to do everything to avoid it ending. But actually, except for the relationship with ourselves, every single relationship we ever have is guaranteed to end. So why the fuck are we so afraid of it? Why the fuck would we stay in something that's not working anymore and not making us happy because we're so afraid of it ending? Because we believe we'll never have that thing that yes, we got fuck. with that person again. <laughs> Hit the nail on the head again, Peter. Fuck, that's exactly right. Mm. No one else will love me like that. I'm never yeah. going to find anyone as good as them. Yeah. And that's why, like, one of the things I also coach women through to, to sort of work through what their blocks and barriers are and to heal some of those core wounds that are playing out in their relationships. And what I notice as well is pretty much the biggest block that women have to co-creating a new conscious partnership is because they're still attached to an ex or they're still holding, mm. they're still holding space in their heart for someone from the past. 
Um, and that's why it's so important to be able to move through all of the phases of releasing someone and, and going through that breakup and navigating that with such sensitivity and intention that you can move on without, without that person still holding energetic space or preventing you from being able to, to be openly received love from someone new. Fuck, that's 100% accurate. And I know for some people that might seem a little esoteric because energetically that's the truth. That's what's happening energetically. It's not just that we're holding them in our mind, but our energies are still entwined with them in that way. But that is so fucking tangible and practical as well. And that's exactly what happened in my life. Like I had to reach this point where I truly let go. Like I had been trying and trying and trying and trying and we've got to be fucking compassionate with ourselves for trying because it's not so easy. It's easier said than done. But when I finally made that, that uh, I got to that place where my last lover, I was like, that's it, I have to move on. That's exactly when my current lover stepped in. Like I needed to make that space and it had to be genuine. (laughs) Not just I'm trying to do this. I had to genuinely feel it in my heart and that's exactly when the love that I had dreamt of, that I'd been manifesting, that I'd been focusing on, (laughs) actually stepped in. And the last step for you, so I'm a big believer in moving through different levels, that we have different levels of Mm. of the way in which we attach and that we often, if we are feeling stuck in terms of releasing a person, it's usually at one of those two levels, either the Mm. physical or the environment, the mental, the subconscious, the emotional the energetic or spiritual realms Mm. with your ex, what was the one that was difficult for you to release? This is going to sound so fickle, but it was so significant, was blocking him from my Instagram stories. (laughs) It was like um, I was so preoccupied with his opinion of me. I was always thinking about him. And so to put that block in place, to put a wall up, and say, no, like, this is just about you. It's about your message in the world. Because I always felt like he didn't really get me spiritually. He accepted it, but he couldn't celebrate it because he didn't really get it. So I tried to never really bring my spirituality in its fullness into my relationship with him in order to maintain the loving connection. So it was like put up that wall with social media. So I don't know what category you might put that under, but that then allowed me to be in my fullness. And actually I remember the first thing I shared because my current lover was like we'd started our connection. So I block this lover, I share something on Instagram and the new lover wrote, you are sexy as fuck when you're in your power. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, what was I doing? Holding back from my power, from sharing my message in the world because I'm preoccupied with one person's opinion of me when actually the people that can see me think it's sexy as fuck for me to be me. <laughs> I'm so glad that you mentioned about that because what's really interesting in, in social situations, if people ask me what I do and I talk about, you know, supporting people through breakups, it's quite often that someone will sort of roll their eyes and go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm still, you know, still yeah, still can't get over my ex. And it only takes one question. Like I'll say, like, how long since you spoke to each other? How long since you messaged each other? Or are you still looking at his social media? And they'll say yes. 
And the first and, and most important step really is to make sure that that person, if you're trying to detach from somebody, yeah. isn't continually being reactivated. Yes. If you're looking at their social media, if you're still open to texting. And I always used to think that I was too above having to do that whole like yes. block erase thing. I used to think exactly. that was that I was much more involved than that. But the reality is if you can't trust yourself not to just occasionally look at their social media and it reactivates them and sends you into this spiral of thinking and reinforcing all of those wounds, you have to do it. You have to be disciplined enough to do it. So yes. I'm so glad that you spoke about that. Yes, well I had put him on mute. So he wasn't coming up on my feed anymore. So that was very helpful for me. And I'm, I have, I am quite disciplined when it comes to social media. I just don't like to do things that make me feel shit. <laughs> so if it makes me feel shit, I just don't do it. So I don't sit there and torture myself with that. But on occasion, I would go back and, oh my god, I remember one night I was in bed with a friend of mine, and her kids had gone to bed, and it was late at night. And we were talking, and then we fucking started looking at his social media, and it stirred up both of our energy like nothing else. I was like. Fuck, I'm not going to be able to sleep for hours. My heart was just like bursting with love for him. My sacral chakra was so fucking horny for him. I was like, God, I'm back. <laughs> what was I doing looking at him late at night? <laughs> so that, that, you know, that's what was so beautiful and powerful and amazing about our connection. But yes, that's still fucking there whether we're together or not. So if I go anywhere near it, it becomes this uh, addictive, powerful energy that has a grip on me in, in some way. There's like, there's a pattern in me that gets activated when you go near the pattern in him and then I'm my fucking velcro is back stuck on him again and I just started half peeling myself off of him so yeah making that that step was a big move and like again I think because I'm disciplined enough on occasion I can go and check in on him but it really has what it's been mm, not even six months since that moment but I feel like now is the first time where I'm able to witness something of him and be completely okay. I'm like, wow, I'm not, I'm curious, almost like I'm watching a soap opera or something. Like, oh, I wonder what's happened. But from no place of personal involvement and it has no influence on me anymore, which is fucking amazing because that was two and a half years of what I would call a deeply karmic relationship Mm-hmm. You know, astrologically, we had some really intense shit going on. We definitely had some past life stuff. He he was the one that first really unlocked my sexuality and that's, I think, the thing I couldn't let go of was that this man could meet me sexually for the first time, um, this part of me that's been misunderstood or hidden or shut down. But actually there's so much more available to me than that with someone else, which is amazing. But, yeah, at that time I was like, fuck, he's the one that's done this. So what I can also see now is the relationships that I have and new relationships that I'm attracting, I'm no longer madly in love. Like I used to think, fuck, I'm madly in love. And I'm like, yeah, because you're fucking mad. You're going crazy. Those things make you fucking go crazy. You ruminate on that shit that gets in your head, that gets in your heart, that like preoccupies your entire life and day and like that. And now much healthier relationships don't have that madness component it feels stable and it feels grounding and it feels like fucking relief and I was just recently looking at someone else's astrological chart with mine and I thought fuck that's going to be crazy karma and I was like I don't want to get in another one of those I don't want to once you've done the fucking work and once you've healed and once you increase your value and once you start having positive experiences that reflect that 
you don't want to go back to that crazy shit. You don't ever want to put yourself through that torture again. Another way of explaining what exactly what you've just described is is also to do with attachment. So mm. one thing, specifically anxious attachment, although other styles a little bit as well, what we tend to do is get this really activated nervous system feeling when we when we connect with certain people. It's um yeah. it's we come to we think that's chemistry, right? And so we actually come to seek that out. But what it is is it's really an activated. Um, attachment wound and we mistake that for love we mistake it for chemistry we pursue it it ends up creating these really interesting dynamics of what um, often can be described by a margot theory or an imago match so the person that you you just spoke about your ex he was probably in a margot match meaning that aspects of your subconscious identified positive or negative traits similarities in him to one of your primary caregivers, either mum or dad, even if you consciously didn't even realise that that's what was happening. And so your subconscious is trying to play out a new scenario whereby the, the mission is if I can get this person to love me in the way that my this parent didn't love me, I'll finally feel whole, complete, enough, worthy, lovable. And so we continue to seek the validation, the connection. We seek out that activated attachment from this person, feeling like there's going to be healing in there that finally if this person sees yeah. me, loves me, experiences me in the way that I've always wanted, um, it will be the answer to, to all of those all of those feelings of unworthiness, but it just ends up being an emotional roller coaster, right? A love addiction oh. sometimes. Uh, you can't quite see me if you're watching the camera, but like I am holding myself right now. I have my arms crossed against my chest. I'm like, I'm never doing that to myself again. Mm. I'm never putting myself into one of those relationships, although they're necessary for growth. I couldn't, I would never regret it. Oh my God, I would never regret it. I love that man. I love his soul. I'm so grateful for what he gave me, but in terms of that dynamic, never again, never, ever, ever again. It is so painful. And you're right, you're seeking this elusive thing that you think will be there if you just keep showing up better or if you just keep giving more or you just keep trying to make the improvement to get this elusive thing and it's just never to be found. It's just not actually there. So you know lots about attachment theory. How did, how did you tell me a little bit about that? It, when I first, well, so I studied a little bit of it in university, my background's in psychology, but it wasn't until I really read about the application of attachment theory in adult intimate relationships that it just was like a light bulb moment for me. And subsequently when I, from, from 10 years ago, when I started working professionally with women, the framework of attachment, like there's so many predictable patterns, mm -hmm. predictable, you know, wounding, predictable path of healing for each of the different attachment styles, secure, avoidant and, and anxious, that I couldn't not use it. I had to just study mm -hmm. and learn and and then also take a range of different intervention, different types of interventions and try them and figure out like how, what is going to be the best approach. I didn't want to just use um, traditional psychological methods. So, so bringing in some NLP and hypnosis and, you know, body wisdom and inner child healing, shadow work and, you know, Reiki, mm. you, you name it, like what, what's a combination of 
modalities is really going to help people that have this same experience with anxious attachment, um, tumultuous relationships, not being able to emotionally connect, not being able to be secure, what is going to really work. And um, so that's kind of been my life mission is helping people from the breakup all the way through healing their attachment so they can they can go on to create a beautiful, secure partnership after that. That's amazing because that's the real the the click for me with attachment theory too. Not only being able to see myself in the symptoms of it now, but the direct relationship with our caregivers that they say, if you've got this now, it's because you're parented in this way. And I was like, holy crap, that's so clear to me. That's exactly how I was parented. So tell us a little bit more about that, like how those parental wounds that we have are fuck, that's just our relationships, isn't it? Just replicated until we heal. Yeah. Well, most of the time, if we've had a father that was somewhat emotionally unavailable, um, we'll tend to go on to experience more uh, or relate more to the anxious attachment style. And that happens in a way that we like we don't necessarily had to have had a father that just suddenly up and left us at the age of seven or a father mm. that was emotionally bu- abusive whatsoever. I mean, my dad was just a traditional baby boomer, went mm. to work, came home, mm. stayed out in the shed doing tinkering around that just didn't really, had, had a bit of a tough upbringing himself, mm. wasn't particularly um, affectionate or emotionally expressive, just didn't have the skills or the tools to be able to emotionally connect with his daughter. And I think mm. most of our dads from that, you know, from that era just really didn't know how to create an emotional bond or be emotional support mm-hmm. with their daughters. So, so I think a lot of us can relate to that. And that's, that's, and there, are, you know, there doesn't have to be a significant abandonment event in our life for us to develop um, anxious attachment for yeah. sure. Especially if we're deep and sensitive and, Like I think about my childhood experiences and being such a sensitive person. Like my brother and I grew up together, obviously. There's definitely some experiences that I had that he didn't. But some of even our shared experiences would be more traumatic for me because I'm sensitive, because I'm female, and I felt less safe, I think. I felt more vulnerable to other men and older men and things. You know, I was looking for that safety and protection. That's not to say that little boys don't need safety and protection, but I just, I see that my sensitivities and my deep emotionality and the fragility of my emotions, which now at this age I've come to really honour and respect and be grateful for and know how to master my emotions and have high emotional intelligence and see the way that they bring such beautiful depth to my life experience. But when you don't understand that and you're just a little child and you feel everything in the world around you and someone can't meet you there, that's painful in and of itself. It makes sense that it doesn't have to be a traumatic abandonment in order to feel an emotional disconnection. And I think you're right. It's just a very typical pattern from the generations before us that the men of the family are like that, that they're not the emotional caregiver in the family, that that fell often to the mum but I read a meme the other day that I shared on my Instagram and it said funny that girls or that women are shamed for having daddy issues but this comes down to the way that their fathers failed them or something like that it's like why are girls the ones that are getting shamed for daddy issues when this happened because the men have failed them I'm like fuck that's so true daddy issues is such a a slander almost towards women but like 
we didn't choose that. We didn't choose to feel emotionally disconnected or unmet in our childhood. It's circumstances that were outside of our control. But they're in our control now where, you know, you and I have dedicated ourselves to this work, but anyone that's even listening to this has the emotional intelligence and has the privilege of self-awareness and obviously wants to know more. And the power is in our hands to, to take that back and then, yeah, to build those relationships and attract the partners that reflect that. What did you say, the imago wound? So the, yeah. that means that if we had that emotional disconnection with a parent that we're then going to be attracting partnerships with that emotional disconnection. Yeah, our, sub, mm-hmm. our subconscious identifies aspects of inner in a person. So say, so emotional unavailability is, is a really common one and a lot of women feel as though they just are never quite able to get that emotional connection with the the person that they're interested in. And it's because we're we're actually accustomed to that. There's a part of Mm. our subconscious that identifies that emotionally unavailable man that I'm interested in with dad who was never fully emotionally unavailable. But what happens is in this, even with men who we would classify as avoidant men in the attachment framework, they'll often give us glimpses of this emotional connection they'll often Mm. you know be present or be really invested or open up or have moments where we see that vulnerable fragile Mm. fragile side of them and it's just like it's like it's It's like like crack crack. (laughs) (laughs) yeah they give you just enough to keep you addicted yeah to, to think I can keep getting more or I need to change or let me love him this way or let me do this so I can get more of that yeah it's just enough to keep you hooked yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And what and the the avoidance style, what I noticed is the pattern with that in terms of relationship with parents is um and, and I noticed it from my own experience. For like 15 years I had a tendency to date men who were raised by a single mum. Mm. And, you know, I found that they, they, they almost were a little bit more comfortable with the feminine because they'd had that sort of different sort of bond with their mum, perhaps being yes. the eldest son of a mum that raised, you know, two or three kids. Yes. There was something about that type of man that was really, really attractive to me. But in many cases, they end up becoming avoidant. And the reason that is, is because the avoidant person has a fear of engulfment, a fear of enmeshment, a fear Mm. of taking on too much responsibility for a person, a fear of being responsible for our emotions, a fear of of all of that. And it often comes because that was the responsibility that 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 eldest son felt with his mum when he was growing up and it almost becomes an inherent fear. I don't want that responsibility anymore. I just want to be free. I want to be independent still want to love but I don't want that enmeshment because it relates back to what he experienced with his mother fuck that's so clear isn't that amazing that like this is why I think attachment theory is everything when it comes to relationships I just think it's a single biggest factor that we need to identify and heal in order to have the relationships that we want that's just it's like a, a an equation that can't go wrong you have this experience as a child, you have this experience, you've got this outcome. <laughs> it's so simple. When I think about the men that I've fallen in love with in the last couple of years, basically they're all women on the inside. <laughs> I was thinking that too. I'm like, what is it about those men? And I'm like, oh, they're all very masculine men, but fuck, they're, they're women on the inside. They've got this deep emotional capacity 
which is necessary for me to feel safe and to feel loved. They weren't necessarily masterful with it, except for my current partner, but like I'm drawn to that very deep emotional thing in men that probably a lot of women don't identify as masculine and might not be attracted to many women. But for me, I'm like, get me a man and a woman hybrid, please. (laughs) Can I have the best of both worlds in one person, please? (laughs) I think also that type of man is a very comfortable fit for your expression of your masculinity too. Mm, That's so true. But the and and a lot of us, you know, modern women, we really are quite comfortable in our masculine, and so it becomes, you know, that that type of man is often really in awe of that masculine power that we display. But what ends up happening in a relationship more often than not is we become frustrated that he doesn't step up. Like we become, mm-hmm. we, yeah, we become a little bit annoyed. Like we're really wanting more from him in terms yeah. of being his his masculine. So it often doesn't work. Oh, my God, I had an experience this week. Basically, I've been in four days of sexual transcendence. Like I have what I've been called getting fucked to oblivion. (laughs) Like hardly even in this reality. Like I'm here, but it was just days of absolutely life-changing sex. One day I'll do a podcast about it, but it's pretty full on. So I was like, oh, my family listens to my podcast. (laughs) I now have to consider that. I have to get past that actually and still share my stories because they're fucking great. But one of them was about me. One of these experiences that I had was me stepping into my masculine energy more than I ever have before. And I fucking loved it. Like it absolutely changed me to fully, fully, fully own my masculine energy like that. Like it was unbelievable. I think I've held myself back because I do feel like, well, I'm a better man than most men. You know, most men in my life are fucking redundant because I can do that better. I'm stronger. I'm braver. I just like, fuck, I'll just do it myself. Is the kind of attitude that I've always had. Like I really love masculine energy, but I do have a very high standard because I can just get it from within myself. So like I feel like I have a whole man and a whole woman inside me, not just a little bit of each that makes up one person. Like I'm this giant fucking energy and spectrum so most people is like eh, you know you're a drop in the ocean compared to what I have within myself so eh, see ya so to be able to like fully 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 step into that energy was just off the fucking charts amazing and again I feel like a different person walking through the world now because I'm like I've fully integrated that part of myself I'm not afraid because I love I know I'm here to sexually awaken a lot of women and to allow them to embrace their sexual energy and heal their sexual energy and express their sexual energy in the world. But I keep saying to my partner, I can't go awaken all these women if I don't awaken the men because who the fuck's going to hold them? Like I don't mean, and I always give this fucking thing in every single podcast, I do not mean to be gender normative. But for simplicity's purposes, we're talking about femininity, masculinity, we'll talk about women and men, is that a lot of very powerful alpha women Boss babes got their shit together, don't want to lose that power, don't want to give up that control that they have in their lives and all the good things that come with it, but they are fucking begging to get ravished. They need a fucking man to make the, or the masculine to make them sexually submissive. They need to get met in that way. And in fact, when you can have that, then it empowers every other area of your life. It doesn't take away from it, but there's a lot going on there. And I can see how many women I can help with like what needs to happen in the mind for you to be able to let in someone 
to hold that masculine space in your life. But just as important as that, I need to teach the masculine how to step up and be more masculine. So I've been holding back thinking, gosh, can I teach the men? Like I need a man counterpart teacher to do that kind of teachings for me. And then this week I was like, fuck no. (laughs) That man inside of me is dominant as fuck. It can absolutely hold that divine masculine like nothing else. I can fucking teach that. I can teach that A, from the place of I know what I want when I want to experience the masculine outside of me, but also I know what I need to be to express that masculine as well. So it's like, yeah. oh, fuck, I'm my own teaching partner. <laughs> All right, it. this is happening. All right, universe, we'll go it. there. In time, I will fucking sexually awaken the women, but I'll sexually awaken the men as well. And then everyone will be happy. Everyone will be getting fucked really well (laughs) everyone will be getting all their needs met everyone will be feeling very safe very empowered very fulfilled but everything's a mess for most people like all these energies all these boundaries all these understandings of themselves it's just one big muddy sloppy mess of energy but the more that we can do that work and clarify there's power there It's so needed, Erin, because we're not looking at traditional relationship roles anymore. I mean, I remember listening to Dr. John Gray, who wrote the Mars and Venus Mm -hmm. books, very heterosexual, traditional male, female marriage type roles. And he talked about he talked about the importance of the man being in his masculine when he was out you know, during the day doing his thing and then coming home and being able to be in his feminine where it's where the. The, the wife can take on more of a masculine role, but then in their intimate life also being able to switch that up. Yes. So, yes, it's, yeah, it's really important. But how do we navigate that when we don't necessarily, most of us nowadays, we aren't pitching for a traditional husband, wife, man goes out to work, wife stays at home, cleans her. Like we, we don't want that. So I think that's that's an absolute gift that's really needed is how, yes. do, we, how do we navigate, how do we complement each other in these masculine and feminine exactly. energies? Exactly. And that's like, as you say, it's about sliding along our own spectrum, knowing when we're in our masculine, when we're in our feminine having be masterful at both of those know when it's appropriate to move back and forth know how to respond to your partner how you both get your needs met because maybe i love being in my masculine but i really need to be in my feminine i've been in my masculine so fucking much i'm not feeling met my feminine's not feeling nourished but you know the traditional gender roles that we've seen in the past our grandparents generation we saw that executed in a very abusive destructive disrespectful way especially to the feminine It really wasn't about the feminine getting needs met. That's your role as a woman. That's what you do. And we still see that dynamic present on the majority of the planet. Um, So then we start moving towards feminism and equality and women start taking those, that power back and stepping into more masculine roles and masculine places, which then displaces the men as well. Because now they're like, well, where's my place and what do I do and how do I please you and how do I meet you? So that became a necessary, but again, a messy progression and what I feel like is happening now is actually on some level most of us do want some sort of normative gender role I think most women on the planet would love to think that someone is their provider that they're going to take care of all of those things and you can just be free you probably will still want a career you'll probably still want to apply yourself to things but you want to know that there's that provider there And I think most men that you speak to would want the same. They would want a somewhat submissive woman that's just there to please them. But I think we have the potential to start to play with those energies again 
in a very high consciousness way. Mm. Create gender roles that are really unique to you in your partnership about who you are as an individual, who they are as an individual, and really slide along that spectrum in a way that's very satisfying that inherently holds deep respect for each other. Like I love being submissive to my partner and I had so many blocks around it because I was like, that's weak. You know, men are already the dominant power on the planet. Like we don't know what kind of man needs more power than that. He's already a white middle-aged man on the planet. He's got everything that he wants. Like why would he need this? Blah, 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 blah. But actually, fuck me, it satisfies me on a level deeper than I could ever have imagined. But at the core is such phenomenal respect of each other and such value of each of our needs. And he always says to me, baby, you just need to be cherished. It's like, I know what you need. You need to feel seen and you need to feel heard and you need to be cherished. Yeah. It's like, fuck, how have I gone 38 years of life? And <laughs> I didn't even know that about myself. Someone else didn't. Like to have that need met makes me naturally submissive because he's such a man. His masculine energy is unquestionable. His alpha is unquestionable, but he still lets me be an alpha. He loves me being powerful. He loves me going out and doing my thing in the world. But then I put myself into his energy and I naturally submit because I'm like, oh, here's this container that's bigger than me. Here's this space that I can let go of all of my responsibilities, all of the, like, building a business, serving in the planet, my family relationships, my money situations, all these things that I have to work hard for. I have a space that I can go to, a container that I can go to where none of that matters. Yeah. Someone else is responsible for me and someone else wants to create these experiences for me and wants to fulfill me sexually and wants to fulfill me emotionally. And like, ah, it's actually, I had to do a lot of fucking work, but it's worth it because yeah. it's so incredibly satisfying. So I do believe that many of us actually deep down want some sort of gender role. There is a kink actually about 50s households. Like right. they want to be creating it. But the thing about kink is we do it with, consent we do it with respect we do it with two adults that are equally buying in and for me that necessary equality and respect at the core of everything yeah and I think that's what's been missing historically I'll hand the microphone back to you now Peter because I've been ranting again (laughs) no I love what you I love what you say because to be honest like we can't actually deny there's aspects of us that are biological right so there's men have their need to feel in their in their masculine by experiencing that testosterone. And I had, I mean, if you asked me what my ideal weekend would be, it would be bunkering down on a rainy day with my lover in bed, just eating yes. delicious food, listening to music exactly. and never getting out, having deep exactly. emotional conversations and exactly. just, just lazing around and like exactly. just, just being in such this insular, deep, yes. deep intimate connection with each other. And what I came to learn though is there's for a man, there's there's only so long they can do that and be completely in their feminine Mm -hmm. before something starts to feel off they start to feel a little bit outside of their own power Mm -hmm. and this is why we have this phenomena where men do pull away like they need to go away go to their you know Mm -hmm. go and do their masculine things be around be around other men do whatever they need to do to to reinvigorate themselves with that testosterone that makes Mm -hmm. them feel powerful again and that took me a little while to understand and to respect that that Mm -hmm. men you know really need that They, they can be completely in their feminine and intimate with you but only for a period of time. Yes. yes, I completely agree. I think about my lover like that and we love those. We love that energy, but I, he's my wild animal and you don't want to cage a wild animal. And I said that to him. I was like, I often think, how do I love you best? Let him be free. 
never ever cage that wild animal not his mind not his heart not his time not his body like let him be free and he will come back and give me everything and then he'll go again and actually because I'm so independent I love that it's like okay we both have this high need for independence I'm not going to be dragging you into our little love cave against your wishes but when you're in you're fully in and you give me your everything and then I have to let you go and you go out there and you give that your everything. And the more that he gets that, the more he comes back and brings to me. So it's like. And the more security that gives yeah. you as well. Exactly. Exactly. So if we as anxiously attached women are craving that, we have to be okay with the independence. We have to be okay with the time apart and not interpret it as abandonment and not interpret it as I'm not valuable or I'm not important or I don't matter, but actually see it as part of this equation that allows him to continue to fuel that deeply feminine, emotionally rich part of your connection. And if we're always leaning in and holding on and always the one that's reaching out and feeling like we're holding the connection together, it never gives him the space to lean in, which gives us the validation that he's there because he wants to be. Mm -hmm. So for anxious styles, like we, we have had a tendency to like really grip onto the relationship and feel like if I don't, you know, hold the relationship with this much energetics, then he's going to, I'm going to lose him. He's going to step away, but we're not getting that validation, that reassurance, that security, that he is there because he wants to be and that's a beautiful example that you've just explained yes. that it's helping you to be more secure because he keeps coming back and coming yes. back and re reinforcing to you that there's no need to allow that abandonment yeah. to reactivate anymore and he comes back with such passion and he comes back with such desire for me it's unbelievable like that feels so good to be desired because he's been without me he's been off in his world or he's been connecting with his other partners or whatever it might be. But when he comes back, when it's with me, it's all in with me. And that is like a very healing balm to my wound. Um, but again, my other solution to this is get a female partner. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, we love rolling around in bed for three days straight and talking about our feelings and just fucking and eating and sleeping and talking and fucking and eating and sleeping and talking. <laughs> so yeah. off he goes and in she comes. It's a perfect solution for me. <laughs> Exactly. So let's talk a little bit then, Peter. How is it that you, like I've been doing a lot of this healing work myself because I didn't even know that there were people that can like really dive deep. So share a little bit about how you help people with that. How do they go through their healing process to get to that place? Yeah, I, it's, it's really quite systematic and, you know, often we do lots and lots of work, but it can be a little bit hit and miss. And so yes, that's, that's where I've been at, honestly. Yeah, and it can take years. So I, I'm an INTJ in the Myers-Briggs type, and as I mentioned, I'm Capricorn Sun too. So I like to be quite methodical with mm -hmm. supporting people through it. Make sure there's no and there's there's no levels of attachment or or uh, or healing aspects that aren't fully or method methodically worked through. So. There's a few steps I'll run through them if that's okay, Erin. The first step is obviously Please, to really Peter. <laughs> give us the really, steps. Really, really clean up. <laughs> really, really clean up your environment. If there's someone, if there's an attachment to someone that you want to release, you have to be really disciplined in cleaning up your physical space in your environment. And we've already talked about that. So that is not continuously being reactivated. So clean up your social media, you know, take away all of the reminders that you have of him, archive all of your messages, anything that you might be tempted to go and, you know, sneak a look at or anything, anything that 
reminds you of him? Are you still listening to your song all the time? And um, we we tend to want to ha- hold on to something that's still a thread of a connection with that person. We're reluctant to let it go, but we re- but what we don't realize is that is what's keeping him reacted. So cleaning up your physical environment is the first and most important step in some ways. Then it's about going in and looking at what what are all the beliefs that I've made up about myself in relationship between him and I. So lots and lots of limiting self-beliefs. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. I'm not enough. I'm never going to meet someone that loves me in this way or that I can connect with. We have all of these bullshit beliefs that we have to go in and that can take a little time, a little time, or it can take a really long time. But on the mental level is what are the stories I'm telling myself about him, about myself, about the breakup. And so tidying up in that mental realm is the second step. Then the third step is to go into the subconscious. And this is where we've talked quite a bit about the attachment. Mm -hmm. So this is Mm -hmm. where our attachment is all happening and why sometimes in relationships we end up doing stuff that is just so out of character or not what we consciously intended in the relationship. So it's really common to have like really successful, um, intelligent, thoughtful, sophisticated women. And then their relationship life, their behaviors, they feel really ashamed of. feel like they're really letting themselves down. And it's because at the subconscious level, it's what's driving all of our, um, our behaviors. So we've talked about Imago, um, those, those, activated attachments, attachment wounds. So understanding all about that and healing the subconscious wounds. So I use neuro-linguistic programming um, to go back and and reprogram some of those things in the subconscious. Hypnosis is also pretty good. Mm -hmm. Then we go into the emotional realm. So... (laughs) You took a big sigh there. (laughs) This is where the real heavy lifting happens. (laughs) Right. And we've touched a little bit on this. Like if you've had a really tumultuous roller coaster relationship with somebody and the feeling that you have for them is so goddamn powerful, right? Mm. And we think like the strength of feeling I have for this person must be something really significant and therefore I can't let it go. But what we don't realize is that yes, there's an element of love, but bundled in with that is a whole cocktail of other really powerful emotions. So there's grief, there's attraction, there's shame, there's um, Mm. anger, there's disappointment, there's hurt and frustration, there's excitement, there's this whole cocktail of positive and negative emotions all bundled in that we associate with this person that we aren't actually able to distill down and figure out how much of it is actually pure real love. Mm. Um, And so part of healing on the emotional realm is also working through all of that Mm. as well and getting real in some ways about is this really love or is this all of these Mm -hmm. emotions that I'm experiencing and what is the truth of this Um, and using I think especially for anxious attachment we have this tendency to almost abandon ourselves and surrender to all of these crazy emotions instead of really really being diligent about self-soothing and learning how to manage our own emotions expecting someone else to be able to come in and make us feel better when we're when we're out of control yeah yeah so that Oh, sorry. Have I interrupted the steps? Go for more it. steps. There's, <laughs> well, there's two more steps, but yeah. Okay. Well, let's do that, and then I'll come back. I want to talk about the good guy. 
Okay. Um, the next step is the energetic realm. So we obviously don't, we, we aren't able to really have strong science to explain how we form energetic connections between people. I mean, there's lots of emerging theory, quantum theory and mm-hmm. understanding of morphic fields, you know, but it's pretty common for romantic partners to be able to like just sense when something's wrong with their partner, even when they're separated from it, a bit like the twin phenomenon. Mm-hmm. we can actually have that experience with someone that we're powerfully and energetically connected to um, and so there's also a detachment a process for detaching at in that energetic realm as well um, that's important you could go through all the other steps and detach from someone but they might still somehow be popping into into your heart or into your mind because you have this energetic attachment to them still Mm-hmm. And then that also sort of segues into, into spiritual connections. And so um, sometimes we have this, this sense of knowing that someone is part of our soul family or they may, may even be a twin flame relationship or some kind of karmic experience. So there's a spiritual realm that we need to explore and potentially detach from as well in order to go through all of those levels or realms of detaching. And, and it's usually one or sometimes two of those levels that we when we find we're really stuck, like, Mm. particularly for people that have like divorced from their partner and five years later you know they're still stuck yeah unable to move forward yeah so that I'm glad that I waited for those two steps because that's kind of what I wanted to talk about so from an astrological perspective Pluto is this planet of obsession it's incredibly powerful it holds amazing gifts of transformation but in its shadow it is our fucking addiction. And I think what often happens is that we have these very plutonic relationships is that something in my chart is activating something in their chart. Pluto is at the the core of it and we get obsessed. We get absolutely obsessed. So when I was thinking about, so there's something called a composite chart, which is where we combine the two charts together and this is the energy of the relationship. And then there's something where we put the two charts on top of each other and that's called synastry and that's how you and me are. So one's holding the energy of the relationship itself, one is showing us how we relate together. And when there's strong Pluto in that, well, actually, as a precursor to that, astrology can't tell you whether you're operating at a high level of consciousness or low level of consciousness. It doesn't matter. That chart is going to stay the same, the composite chart, whether we've just got together and we're 18-year-old babies who know nothing about ourselves, or if we got together at 60 in a level of self-mastership, the energies and the planets are exactly the same. But it's a level of consciousness at which we're dealing with it. So after my incredibly karmic, amazing love affairs that I go all over the planet, like having these incredibly deep love affairs, but they're all fucking karmic and they're all fucking Pluto and it fucks you up big time. But what's happening now is my partner has got so much Scorpio energy, which is very plutonic, but we are doing it at such a high level of consciousness. That intensity is there, but it's in such a loving way. When you don't know, when you haven't done this work about yourself, those energies are so, like anything on the planet that's powerful, can be incredibly destructive or incredibly constructive. But like you said, when we have these woundings and then we're relating to someone because they're a match for that wounding, it feels like love and it feels like chemistry, but it's a reflection of our wounding. So the opposite of that is to go find something stable, which most people think that's boring as fuck. 
it's boring and I don't want it and it doesn't have the chemistry. And this is also where the kind of nice guy complex comes in. It's like, well, yeah, he's good on paper and he ticks the boxes, but he's, he's a bit too nice, you know. Mm-hmm. So, again, we need to that's not the alternative that we want people to have necessarily. That's not necessarily the highest consciousness expression of stability that can actually also be lacking. But I can see this pattern in women that just keep going back and I'm just like, oh, I want to smack myself in the forehead and be like, I can't watch you do this for the 10th time over, either with the same guy 10 times over or basically the same guy in different bodies (laughs) 10 times over because they're chasing that chemistry. They want that intensity because they think that that's love instead of actually finding, like I said, I'm not madly in love anymore and it's amazing but it doesn't have to lack intensity and passion and excitement. It's just the healthy versions of those things, not the yeah. I'm going fucking crazy. Right. I will keep listening to the song. I will keep reading the text messages over and over. I will keep stalking on the internet. I will keep using every single minute of my day completely and utterly preoccupied with this person. Like it's so such an unsatisfying life experience to be trapped in that. And what I hear a lot of women complaining about when they've been so used to using that that activated chemistry as a barometer for whether this is someone I should get involved with or not is they end up in what I call a double bind. So they end up either, either finding themselves really attracted to a man where it's either emotionally unavailable or ends up, it, it ends up, you know, slightly toxic mm. Or the men that are really attracted to them, those good guys, they're just not interested in because they don't Mm. feel that. And then Mm -hmm. not realising that there's a space in between. Mm. There's that space in between and they need to sort of be open to expanding that grey area in between, not following that high, high, Mm. like anxious butterflies attraction feeling, not making yourself, not forcing yourself to have a relationship with the guy that you just have absolutely nothing for, but being Mm. open to that, the middle ground and the slow burn relationship because they Mm. can become really, really powerful rather than than classifying someone as one or the other, either, either someone I'm interested in but it's going to be toxic or a guy that I'm not attracted to. That's fucking brilliant. Thank you. That is a golden nugget right there. So what is the barometer people should use then as to whether this is a relationship they should get in? It all goes on feelings, I think, but the challenge is how to distinguish between your intuition and your fears and insecurities that come up Mm. as well. So trusting your intuition, but knowing that is your intuition but definitely, I, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit kitsch, but if if it's someone that you feel really comfortable with and otherwise would meet some of your criteria for what would be a partner and it doesn't repulse you, the idea mm. of being physically intimate with them, then give it a chance even if you don't, like to get, just give, give it some time to see yes. if something builds rather than writing someone off just because there's not that instant, those instant butterfly feelings. Yes, I completely agree with that, actually. Like build something that might be slower to start but that has far more sustainability to it and stability to it than these like I'm all in and then it fucking crashes and burns. Like Mm -hmm. I've noticed that from very young in my life, mainly with friendships as well. Like you'd meet someone, you're like, oh, my God, you're my new bestie, like that, and it would always like go bad very quickly. And I remember probably being about 20 and thinking, be careful of that feeling, Erin. 
if you get in, if if this feels too good too quick, there's something it's not going to last. Like I couldn't really understand it more than that, but I was recognising exactly that like those peaks have a big drop off the other side versus these friendships that have built and the depth grows and the vulnerability grows and the even the sexual connection can grow by getting to know each other more and, and you know, learning about each other's desires and, and seeing what's there. It is kind of like a fire that we're building. We're putting more fuel on it and we're giving it a bit more oxygen and, like, see what happens. And the feeling, like, the feeling of feeling safe with that partner mm. is something that is it's much more difficult to achieve with someone where you have those opposing attachment styles and there's a, a really strong chemistry, but it just, it doesn't, at its, at its core, it doesn't necessarily feel safe. Yeah. And, um, and the, the, capa- the ultimate capacity to create a conscious relationship from that safe space is so much more powerful than what we, we, we really acknowledge, I think. Man, all my sexuality is what it is because I feel safe. It's so funny. You think that, yes, to a certain degree, safety, you know, this merging together of two people can kill the sexual desire. Those long-term relationships where they've been married for a long time and they don't have sex anymore, that's another reason why I love that my partner goes off as a wild animal. Like, you know, I say wild animal as in being completely free and independent because that guarantees that we want to come back together again. But if we live together, fuck, we would not fuck the way that we do. We would not, it would not sustain. It's just another natural part of human nature. You merge too close together, you lose the polarity. So I can't remember how I started talking about that then, but. We were talking about safety. Oh, thanks. Yeah, safety can be one of the things that dulls the desire because the mm. safety and the consistency and the predictability means that it doesn't have the excitement and the fear and the anticipation that can fuel sexuality. So it's funny. You do need a certain amount of safety at the core to know that you're safe, to know you won't be abandoned, to know that you can trust and rely on this person, to know that they're consistent and you know what to expect so that that anxiousness doesn't get activated but then you need to also bring in a certain level of excitement and passion and uncertainty and mystery and let there be enough space that you're both breathing and you both retain your independence. Ultimately, the whole moral of our conversation today is relationships are fucking work, but they're worth it. And no fucking good relationship is going to come without investing in it, which means investing in ourselves, knowing ourselves, healing ourselves, investing in each other, carving out the quality time, establishing the communication, learning to love and cherish each other in the way that we need it, making sure that our own needs are met, making sure the other person is getting their needs met in multiple healthy ways. But these fucking relationships that we've been dreaming of our whole life, that that image in our mind of that, I don't know, utopian kind of relationship, it takes so much work. It's never going to land on our lap it's going to show up as so much shit to work through. Like, and this is how I view relationships and I'm almost guaranteed you're going to be reviewing the same thing. There's a gift here for me. There's a lesson here for me. I was just about to say that. There's, this is serving me. This is how I've gone into every single relationship. What are they here to teach me? What gift am I here to leave? How is this designed? How is this perfectly designed for myself, by my soul for me to get the greatest growth and evolution out of this? How is this here to teach me about love, the pain, the unavailability, the disappointments. Always, I know this is here to teach me about love. I know that this is here to serve me. I know this is here to make me a better person. I know this is here to help me 
improve my relationships and it fucking works. You go into every single relationship as a lesson, as a gift, looking for the gold all the time, reframing everything for my own empowerment and you do, you fucking get rewarded with relationships that get better. Every single one was one step better, one step better, one step better, one step better. Like, fuck, here's the reflection of my inner work. Here's the reflection of my increased self-worth. Here's the reflection of my better boundaries. Here's the reflection of my belief in myself. And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Keep doing the work. Keep choosing to take your empowerment out of every single person that comes into your life in any kind of way. Yeah. And that, that is a reflection of your willingness to be able to sit in the pain while you're cracked open and unpack it and say, where is the gift? Where's the gift yeah. for me here? What can I learn? A lot of us have a tendency at the end of a relationship, it feels more easy to say it was him and not me or it was her and not me. It, that mm-hmm. feels easier. I mean, sometimes we cycle back and forward between complete self-blame and shame and then and then we throw it all the way back onto onto our ex and say it was them not me but if you can just sit with the fact that it's a dynamic that two people created and to and be willing to look at what what was the what was the learnings what's the teachings how can I grow from this what can I take from this what is that ultimate gift um you can go on to create it not only helps to evolve you as a person it's really really empowering um your healing is much quicker so it's kind of like what we were talking about the broken arm analogy it's it's mm-hmm. doing the breakup right like being willing to look at what what is being exposed here that i can take and learn um learn from and then take that into your next relationship so it becomes yes. an even more beautiful conscious deep partnership yes. and that's the opportunity for everybody listening and that's what i want to make sure it, like anyone that's listening that's going through heartbreak right now yeah like this is it's actually such a beautiful opportunity even if it feels like horrible yes and the crazy thing is that sometimes that relationship that they attract at the next level can be with the same person you know, like it, it doesn't have I say this to people all the time to end something doesn't mean a termination of that relationship forever it's saying I'm ending the dynamic I'm I'm choosing to step away from the way that we've related because it's not helping and you have to be courageous as fuck and be willing to lose everything. You can't do that with any kind of expectation on the other, but when you do that and you do this work, that new relationship is going to come in and there's every chance that it could be if that person does the same work that they meet you at that next level. You know that I think you do a bit of work around this too, don't you? Yeah, I the process is actually exactly the same. So I have a course where I take women through each each of the stages of releasing attachment and healing and downloading what that gift is and evolving themselves, their relationship skills, understanding their attachment, all of that. When they've done that work and actually detach from their ex, it's it's not uncommon to then create a brand new relationship with an ex or manifest that ex mm-hmm. back but in a new incarnation of that relationship yep. as well it's it's really really common but it's often just not possible to do it you know you can go you can use certain strategies to get your ex back so to speak and you mm-hmm. can search all over the internet for techniques to do this but if the, and a bit of changes and a bit of black <laughs> magic like there's plenty of that too for the people I don't want to do the work I just want him back <laughs> right right <laughs> But if nothing profound within you really changes, nothing really changes. And that yes. that that reuniting with the ex, it almost never lasts. 
unless you actually fully detach from yeah. them, do that inner work and, you know, then anything is really possible. Yeah. Anything is possible. Exactly. And what would you now, okay, this is an interesting question. I have seen it in myself and I see it in many people is that you truly detach and you're like, okay, I'm letting go. I'm going to do the work and they fucking come back. They feel that. And then this old toxic thing still shows up. What do you, how do people navigate that? That's it's like, yeah, fuck, I finally got the strength to walk away. Fuck. And now he's giving me the attention. Now yeah. my heart. Like, fuck. <laughs> You've just like described test. that energetic bond that we talked about, which is one of the levels. And I've had clients that haven't heard from their ex in seven months but still feel completely attached to them and go through, I guess, have a really big breakthrough in a session and decide that, you know, and be able to finally release that energetic attachment and then text me like two hours later saying, yep. oh, my God, he's just messaged me. Like yes. You can literally feel it. It's, it's, we there's no scientific explanation for it, but it, it does happen. Your ex will be able to feel it when you've detached in those energetic and, and spiritual realms for sure. How do you navigate that? Well, that's really up to you. It's really up yeah. to each individual. Do you feel as though you have the capacity to be able to re-engage with them and for things to be different or not? Because what I find, and again, maybe don't have scientific evidence for it, but I have enough life evidence that I can prove it, that we always get tested. We always get fucking tested. You might be sitting here saying, okay, I'm walking away from that toxic environment. I will not accept that for myself anymore. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to give myself away. I'm going to wait for that thing. And then this fucking temptation comes back in. You know, the ex comes back. They like, the carrot gets like waved right in front of your nose. And you're like, oh, I'm like, ah. but I know if you pass that fucking, if you give in and it's okay, I have definitely failed some of my tests and I've had compassion for myself. I'm like, Erin, we've grown so much. It's okay. It's okay that you went back into the old pattern. But just keep doing the work because that was evidence to the universe that you're not quite ready for this new experience that you're calling in. But when you can pass that test, when you can have the strength to say no to that thing that you know now is not healthy or is toxic or is not emotionally available enough for you or whatever the reason might be, the fucking rewards are there. The rewards, it's like the universe has the reward. The test is an evidence, is a, is a clue that the next thing is coming and the universe is like, can you hold it? They're like, all right, let's test her. Let's see. She wants this. I've got it right here, but let's see if she'll take less if she's going to go back because that means that she's not really ready to attract the relationship she wants. And I actually had a test at the beginning of the year. Well, I recognised that it was a test afterwards, but I had set a rule for myself that, I didn't want a man that chooses easy. And so I recognize I'm not an easy woman. I'm a powerful, deep, complex woman and it's work, but I really believe that I'm worth it. <laughs> I'm a great return on investment. <laughs> you put in the energy into this relationship, you will get so much out. But yeah. if you're looking for easy, then I'm not the person for you. And so here we live in Asia where culturally women are very different. Culturally here, the women are made to be easy. They're very, very submissive naturally. They don't 
like us growing up in Australia, we were kind of raised with messages of like, you can do anything you want. You can be anything that you want in the world. Yes, you're a girl, but you can go be a doctor. You can go be a pilot. You know, we were given those messages that it's that we want to be equals, but in Asia, it's not like that. So when we see people from the West come and they have what I'm going to call a fetish, I guess, for that cultural difference, they're looking for, they're specifically looking for a woman that's easy. And that's not me, but that's caused me a lot of pain when someone has said no to me and chosen easy. I have done a lot of inner work to just accept like everyone's on their own path. And if people want to choose easy, they can choose easy, but that's not the partner I want for myself. And after feeling the pain of that numerous times and recognizing like they want someone that's easy, then I don't want to be with someone that chooses easy. So I went on this date and I had a fucking fantastic mental connection with this person. We had really great honesty and great depth and we talked all night. But through that honesty and depth, he also told me that he chooses easy. He told me in his way, which is basically that he pays for sugar babies. So he would rather pay for someone that's decades younger than him. And I said, why? Why why is it that you choose that? Like, I wasn't judging him. I'm recognizing it's not right for me, but I don't want to project that judgment on him. I said, oh, why do you do that? And he said, "Mm, no headache. I was like, okay, this is a man that wants easy. He wants the benefits of having a woman in his life without having to put in the work to really get the depth of benefits. Like, yes, you can have a woman that pleases you and does what you want and tells you nice things and pretends to laugh at your jokes, but that's very different from the kind of love that I want to give. I genuinely want to laugh at your jokes if I think you're funny. (laughs) I don't just want to, like, have that superficiality of it. So that's what he told me that, Uh, some of the experiences that he's had and in my head I thought okay he chooses easy so there's no future for us in any way and in the past I probably still would have chosen to be sexual with them because of my needs of wanting connection and wanting sexuality and so even though they weren't a great match for me I still would have taken a few pieces a few crumbs out of there and that was the first time that I walked away with a full and proud and happy heart. And I remember being on my scooter the next morning, like he put me in the spare room. He really respected my boundaries. He's a very good guy. He's just not for me. So I got back on my scooter the next morning and I rode home and I was like, wow, Aaron, that was big. (laughs) You held your boundary. You held your standards. You didn't give yourself away for less than what you wanted. And I remember that feeling. It was fucking fantastic. And then within a month of that, look who's shown up in my life. Mm. what the fuck the best man on the planet like and he wouldn't want me giving myself away like that so I asked one of my clients this week think about that future partner that you want think about the depth of respect that you have for each other and the love that you share and the power that exists in your partnership what does he want for you right now and she was like whoa (laughs) he would not be happy that I'm dating that guy he would not be happy that I'm in a job that I don't like I'm like exactly we need to do that for ourselves yeah, we need to respect and love and uphold those standards for ourselves. So I'm yeah. a f- full advocate for the test to not look at it as a bad thing and to not look at it as a problem, but to be fucking excited that if you're ready to pass this test, that means the fucking reward is right there waiting to break through into your reality. It happens 100% of the time. Of the hundreds and hundreds of women I've seen Fuck. and shared their soulmate 
the connecting with their soulmate, 100% of the time there's an opportunity that comes before that, whether you call it a test or an almost but not quite guy, you know, the guy that's 80% mm-hmm. of what I want and do I still continue to invest, invest, invest in him or to do I accept maybe this is just mm-hmm. a test? And and 100% of the time the soul, that soulmate connection comes after that. There is a test before. And the way that I like to see it, and your example really illustrated this as well, Erin, is that you held yourself in the vibration of the partnership, of the relationship that you wanted to call in, not allowing yourself to meander in in other vibrations with other connections. That's exactly right. And, like, that guy and I have a great mental connection. So just enjoy that. You know, like, it doesn't have to be more. You don't have to sacrifice these other things that you want of these pillars and that's kind of what I was used to it's like oh great that person can meet me there but they can't really meet me there or there like that other love relationship I started talking about at the beginning when I muted his Instagram it's like he met me in five out of six of them spirituality it wasn't there and I was happy to accept that because I was like but oh he's five out of six that's amazing Mm -hmm. actually no no it's not it's not okay to deny these needs I'm not saying that we need to make one person the everything for us because that's equally as unhealthy but I shouldn't have to deny who I am or hold back from who I am in this partnership or feel like this part of me is not okay or like modify myself in some way in order to keep that love to attract that love or to keep that love so yeah it's very cool if we can detach from the seriousness of it all and we can just look at it as one giant fucking game like a big virtual reality game where we're just going from level to level, just pass the test, don't use the cheat code, <laughs> do the fucking work because at the next level things get better and at the next level things get better and at the next level things get better. It really is a fucking, it's the joy of my life. As much as it's the pain and the agony when I'm in the fucking story, I feel like I'm dying on some level. But when I can step back as the observer of my life, I'm like, how fucking awesome that I get to do all of this growth through the pathway of love and through the pathway of relationships and with these glorious people on the planet and the fact that these people do exist and we can have multiple soulmate connections and we can have twin flames and we can have that intensity and we have these wild love affairs and we like, how fucking awesome is life? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and something that you do really well and as a, I guess a reminder for everyone listening to is, is keeping yourself in abundance when it comes to your love life. Mm. We often have this tendency to go into scarcity, yeah. holding on to the little bits that we have or the thread of what we used to have instead of, instead of taking that beautiful, beautiful approach that there are an abundance of potential partners for me. There's an abundance of loving, beautiful, connected experiences that are available to me and just keeping yourself in the highest vibration to, to exactly yeah bring those in. Especially because we live in Bali. You know, like on a practical human level, we could say statistically smaller chances, less people, blah, 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 blah. But what I know about our ability to manifest and our ability to, to attract these soul-level partnerships is that they do not adhere to human-level rules. <laughs> That's where fucking miracles happen. That's where crazy things that you could never have imagined happen and that the, the web was being woven for that thing to happen a long time ago. That event happened that led you to them, that met that person that got you out there in that way, that years later somehow can bring a soulmate into your life. 
So if you can't see how it could happen, stop trying to work it out because if you can work it out, it's not the thing. It's not the magic. It's not the manifestation. It never happens through the human layer. You just have to fucking know, okay, I've got evidence in my life of these crazy, miraculous things that have happened, of meeting people in ways that I couldn't have imagined. That's what's going to happen again. Everything's already lined up for it to happen. It's inevitable. The web is already being woven. I've already been guided to have those conversations, to meet those people, to put myself out there. Just fucking wait. Just hold your power and wait and enjoy it. Enjoy the fucking game. Enjoy the singledom because that's something I think when we're driven to relationships that we resist or we don't like and we're yearning for this thing that we don't have and we want those weekends in bed and we want that lover to bring the flowers around and we want romantic getaways and we're like, oh, but we forget how fucking good this is and this is an experience that we can only have now. Like we have, as single women, we have this incredible privilege to make it all about us, to not have to sacrifice anything to be able to do all our inner work, to be able to spend our money how we want, you know, to just make it about us. So get the fucking most out of that because that's not always going to be there. When that new partnership comes along, you have to get back into those dynamics where it's about two people and then you might have children and it becomes about all of them. So just fucking love this moment. Know that the web is being woven. Know that that fucking miraculous partnership is coming and your only job is to do the fucking inner work. And yes. keep opening your heart and holding that fucking vibration. Yes, yes. If you're single and you went to see someone who had a crystal ball and could tell you that in six months' time you're going to meet the most incredible person you've ever met in your life and is going to feel the same way about you, how would you do the next six months differently? If you, exactly. if they were actually going to be the last six months that you were going to spend single. or exactly. it, Yeah. I love that thought experiment. And another one I did for myself also was, okay, what if they're never coming, Erin? Well, what mm. if it's going to be 10 years away? What then? Mm. What do you have to do to be happy and fulfilled then? And not think that it's going to be just around the corner, but know that this might be it for a long time. Like I had to go through it for five years of never truly feeling satisfied. That's, that's a long time when you're yearning for something. You know, like it's hard to accept. If someone had told me at the beginning of the journey, okay, you've got five years. Okay, well, that's a different strategy from the six months. But both of them are such relevant fucking questions. They're all just thought experiments that give us our power back, that make us make the right choices and thoughts to just be satisfied right now, to be happy. The irony is whatever it is that you that you do to get yourself into a place where you're completely in love with your own life, believing that it might take five years before you're connected again with somebody, the very thing that gets you to that place where you finally love your own life is the thing that makes you most attractive to a yes, new partner, exactly. right? <laughs> Little do you know that it's actually going to get you there, but you can't do it with the expectation. That's the, the trick again. It's like you yeah. must do it for you. So genuinely and so wholeheartedly choose your own happiness and live the fucking life that you want to live. Another great thought experiment that a friend um, shared with me that really changed things for me. And it was more so when you're in the settling, when you've got that 85% relationship or maybe even less. And she said, Erin, if there were 10 amazing people lined up outside the door right now about to knock on the door who all wanted you, 10, 10 amazing people, would you choose this? I was like, <gasps> no. <laughs> That's the fucking scarcity right there. If I've got 10 more amazing choices than this one, no, fuck that. <laughs> love that love yeah. that life's too short it is it is and I think 
So I'm just about to start recording a course about masturbation called Power and Pleasure and talk about how if we own our own sexual pleasure and own our body as this portal to power, we don't fucking settle anymore. You're not going to accept the guy that doesn't give you enough foreplay or doesn't know how to bring you to multiple orgasm or give you different types of orgasm or like just I've got to go get drunk in actually in order to actually be comfortable enough to be nude with this guy. Like if you take that fucking power back in yourself, you will never settle for less again. It feels so fucking good to have access to that within yourself. Why would you ever, ever accept less? So in writing the scripting and writing the course, I was like, actually, it's not a masturbation course. It's an empowerment course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually going to be very little about the specifics of masturbation, but it's about the fact that we have that within us, that which we're seeking, that which we're outsourcing. If we can fucking find it within ourselves, like you'll never settle and you do. You become the most radiant, magnetic, attractive fucking ball of light and that Equal, equal relationship you know that match for that is sitting at that vibration just waiting for us to do the fucking work <laughs> I, I went and had a mani-pedi a couple of weeks ago um, which is a thing that we do a lot here in Bali right? it's so affordable <laughs> and I remember just sitting there on the vibrating seat and this woman walked in she was barefoot she was her hair was all you know she had the bed hair and she's wearing this beautiful slip dress she literally looked like she'd just gotten out of bed but she had this glow about her and this aura about her that just turned heads when she walked in and I just sat there and went yeah she's just she, she's just gotten out literally just gotten out of out of bed either masturbating or some beautiful amazing um yeah. sexual experience because you could just you you could it was almost palpable exactly feminine but powerful and radiant this woman was just taking a quick break here to tell you about our amazing sponsor Maeve there is no shame in your pleasure in fact it's about time that sensual satisfaction becomes part of your health routine Maeve is the app with a whole audio library of sexy stories guided sessions and sound experiences created by top-notch writers and experts in orgasmic living and brought to life by the most sultry voices and soundscapes. Fresh audios to explore your self-pleasure, but also to spice up intimacy with your partner are added weekly. The Sex and Healing Podcast is proudly sponsored by the Maeve app, which can be found at withmave.com. Maeve has a current Kickstarter campaign and would love to get your support to launch on Android. Check out their amazing pledges and consider giving the gift of pleasure this holiday season. Yes, she just got fucked to oblivion yeah. by herself or by someone else. Exactly, exactly. And you can. People say that to me all the time. They're like, wow, you're glowing. Because <laughs> I'm finally getting fucked well. <sighs> we actually all have that need, you know, whether we can live without it or not, whether we can learn to tolerate less and just accept it. But actually, I think the majority of women on the planet are just dying for that feeling to get fully met, to get fully seen, to get fully ravished, to just get fucked into oblivion. (laughs) Between you and me, girl, we will set everyone up for that. (laughs) They'll come to you. They'll do all their relationship healing. They'll raise their self-worth. They'll release their exes. They can come to me. They can learn how to fuck themselves well and we'll send them out into the world and they'll all be magnets for the most amazing fucking relationships. It would just be absolutely incredible. 
Love it. Love it. <laughs> this has been so much fun. It has. It has. So we are very proud at erinkinder.com to have Peter as one of our guest teachers and guest courses on our website. So you can head to erinkinder.com to find Release Your Ex and Reclaim Your Life, which is awesome. So we would both just fully back that as a very powerful healing method. But what else do you offer? How else can people find more of your goodness? Um, they can find me online at peterapril.com or my handles on all social media is is at peterapril. Um, specifically, if anyone listening has anxious attachment, I have lots and lots of uh, free resources and I'm always talking about the different ways in which that, you know, impacts our relationship life. So if you're going through a breakup right now, definitely check out the Release Your Ex, Reclaim Your Life course. And if you have anxious attachment or you're just really interested in in attachment and connection, feel like you have got blocks to love and it's been really difficult and emotional, then you can find me on social media and, um, and yeah, look forward to connecting. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Peter. And thank you so much, everyone. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Sex and Healing. And as always, I love to hear from you. Share with us what your key takeaways were, what insights you got. Share with us any questions because we will definitely be able to answer them for you. But make sure that you share this episode with anyone else in your life that you think is suffering through a breakup. If you know another woman that is suffering in this way, then please, please, please let them know that this work is available and will help them and will expedite that journey into healing. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, I am sending you all of my love. Mwah.